Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of On the Pitch, presented by Deep Dive Sports. Today, we got Chase rejoining the team, Mm. coming back from his little hiatus that he took. Going to have a fun episode for you guys today. Obviously, uh, another Premier League-centric episode, but we're going to be talking about some other leagues as well. So first, uh, we'll get us started with a uh, Premier League update. Uh, Week three of the season just finished up, and... The table's looking kind of uh, kind of interesting, I guess you could say. I don't, I don't, I don't know about you, Chase, but I didn't think that after three weeks, um, Tottenham would still be on the top of the table. Um, but you know, what do what do you think of the table so far? Personally, I love it. I, I don't have too many problems with it right now. I think if we ended the season right now, I'd be on cloud nine. Arsenal relegated, Liverpool at the top four, Tottenham wins the league, Chelsea still gets Champions League, Man City's not even in contention. I'm I'm happy. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's it's been crazy. It's been a crazy start. And I think the craziest thing about it is the fact that going into last season, obviously we had COVID and everything was really weird. Man City was ninth when we were like, 15 games into the league, Chelsea, Mm -hmm. you know, struggling hard and everything kind of picked back up to where you think it would have been towards the end of the season. And then we start this season and you think, oh, well, the normal kids are going to be back on their groove because it's a normal season. Fans are back, but it's not. Everything's still everything's still a little off. And I think that's making out to be a very interesting season. I know we're only three weeks in, but I mean, Spurs look. Okay, I, I mean they look good. I I don't know if they could beat right. any of the the big six with the way they're playing. I mean, obviously they beat Man City on the opening day, which I was like, damn, if they can beat Man City one nil like that, they could probably beat most of the Prem in their form that they're in right now. But I mean, right. face last time Watford. Yeah, I mean you're not beat. You beaten Watford one nil, and you beaten Man City one nil. Like there's, <laughs> yeah. The- they they seem to be getting you know pretty pretty lucky with with some of these wins. I mean, they're not scoring a ton of goals like you said. The first two games which is one nothing, um, but you know my Man City bias might be showing. But I think you can put an asterisk next to that game because like we were playing you know a lot of second squad players. You know, um, De Bruyne was out, Foden's still out, um, Grealish is playing in his first game. I don't. Even, I think Ferran Torres just started playing striker, but. Oh, well, it was only week one. <laughs> um, so I, I guess given a little rundown here, I'll go through like the top, the top five because um, you got two teams tied at um, the fourth spot. So we got Tottenham at top of the table, West Ham at second, Man United third, and then Chelsea and Liverpool are tied for fourth. Um, really the only thing separating spots one through five is just two points. Tottenham's at top of the table at ninth. And then two through five or two through six really are at seven points. And then you got Man City, only three points behind in seventh place. Um, Then the relegation spots, you got Wolves at 18, uh, Norwich 19, and then Arsenal at 20. (laughs) None of of those teams have a point. (laughs) They've all lost their first three games. And, you know, particularly Arsenal just looking horrendous. you know, we can get into that a little bit later, but uh, what are some of your takeaways from, from last week? Really, I thought last week was 
probably the first normal week of Premier League football that we've had since COVID started. I think it was mostly all the expected outcomes. Man City thrashed Arsenal, even though Arsenal's in a bad run of form. Everton beat Brighton, which is normal. Leicester beating <clears throat> Norwich, you know, Liverpool and Chelsea battling it out. Even though it was a 10-man Chelsea, I did think Chelsea were the better squad. I definitely think that was a red card, but, yeah, you know, 1-1, that's that proves that we're both fighting for it. I still think Chelsea is the better squad. I've never really been a big fan of Liverpool, obviously, as a Chelsea fan, but <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think if we're holding out a draw – 10 men down for 45 minutes against Liverpool, then Liverpool has some problems to work out. That's what I genuinely think. But I I do think we were a great side. I think that's an expected result for a normal Premier League season, a 1-1. You know, Tottenham wins, barely. Man United wins. And that's the thing with Wolves, though, going with them back at, you know, in the relegation zone right now, no points, no goals, but they've only conceded three. Right. It's not like they're – having an awful run of form at it, like Arsenal has conceded nine or Norwich has conceded 10. They've only conceded three goals. They just haven't scored anything. That's their biggest issue right now. If they were scoring goals, they could easily be in the top six right now. I think they look- Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's – Wolves has kind of surprised me this year with how how bad they've been offensively with um, Traore and Ruben Navas still there. Do you, do you think it's, you know, because – the new management that they have there. I know their former manager uh, is now the manager at Tottenham. Right. You, no, do you I, think that that's the biggest reason or is I, there something else? I think the team looks fantastic. I think they're solid in the back. I think they're mildly decent in the midfield. And I like their front three. There's nothing wrong with their front three. That's the thing that's been carrying them through the premiership the past two, three years is their front three. Right. But there's something missing this season. And Traore has been on top of his game. I mean, if you watch the Manchester United game, he had 90% of Man United in his pocket that entire game. He carried Wolves yeah. for 90 minutes. And they just hit the final pass was missing. And then when they could get that final pass, which only happened once or twice in that game, the shots were just nowhere near testing De Gea. So... They had a couple of good chances in that game, but they they should have had more from that. I genuinely believe Wolves were the better side in that game. I believe they should have won that game. And, and even when they played Tottenham and Leicester, they were good sides. There was absolutely it's, – it's the same thing I've noticed from the three games is that they're just missing – it's just like Liverpool. They're mm-hmm. missing that connection between the midfield or the front three – to the rest of the front three. There's just something not clicking. And yeah, I, I don't think that has really anything to do with management. Maybe it does because the rest of the team for the Wolves looks pretty solid. I think they just need to get back into the group of everything. They're just, they're just not on it. And, and, and that's the same thing. Like, like I said, with Liverpool, you can't blame management for Liverpool's front three, not connecting. There's just, right. I don't know. <laughs> they're just not it seems like every time they step on the pitch it's the first time they've stepped on the pitch in three or four weeks together like they don't they're not in sync and I'm, I'm not sure what they need to do to fix that but Liverpool and Wolves if they both fix that I've noticed that's a huge problem for them. 
could be yeah. a huge, huge problem for the rest of – I think Wolves could take out probably two or three of the top six and, and really damage some runs um, if they can pull their, their front three together. Oh, I, I 100% agree with that. You know, looking over the last couple of years, they, they've always been a side that I guess a lot of the big six, six teams overlook, and they, they always seem to give some of these top clubs a hard time. And I don't know, maybe, you know, with all the Euros this year, then you had um, the Copa America, you know, maybe they're they're rusty. You got some guys maybe coming back from from a bit of a break. I, th- I think that the chemistry will will return to for both Liverpool and Wolves. So I, I don't know. Maybe they they just need some time to to build that chemistry back up. But well, I guess my biggest takeaways I, I have two really uh, from this last week. Um, one, obviously, got to mention City. Uh, their second five nil win in a row. I know it was just Arsenal, uh, a ten men Arsenal side at that. Um, but still, any time that you can put five goals and, and concede nothing is, is still impressive. You know, I don't care who you're going up against. Um, but you, you, you have some guys like Ferran Torres, who is really moving into that striker role pretty well. And you have Gabriel Jesus, who is he needs to be a winger now. You know, I, I don't think you can consider him a striker. He's clearly better. Um, out wide he he has always been a really good passer even when he was playing as a striker but I think playing him out left is just a natural fit for him um, he's just so good at cross, crossing the ball into the into the box um, yeah I, I think that needs to be his his permanent position I don't know if, if he'll start every week um, just because you got you know Raheem Sterling and you got a bunch of competition out there, especially when Foden comes back. But I, I think out wide is where he needs to be, either on the right or the left. And then my last takeaway is how good this West Ham side is. I, going into the season, I, I figured that they'd be a mid-table side like always. Um, but they're still sitting there three weeks into the season at second. You know, they're they're right there in contention with everyone. And at this point of the season, I, I didn't think that they would – would be that high in the table. And it doesn't look like they're going to end this run of form anytime soon. Um, let's see who they got coming up this week. Yeah. West Ham go up against Southampton Saturday. So uh, this run of form that they've been on, you know, Southampton is not really a team that I think is going to be able to keep up with them. You know, they're, they got a plus five goal differential, which is tied for you know, fourth in the, in the league right now. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know about you, but has, has West Ham surprised you as much as they surprised me? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they sold off a good amount of players and brought in a couple here and there, but I, I really wasn't expecting them to, to do what they did last season and keep that good form. And you're right. I mean, they come in. I mean, they, bet, they beat Leicester 4-1, which is right. Leicester's been a top six club for the past three years, four years now. So. That was that was a big shock um, to see them just come in and and pick up right back where they left off. Really, I mean, I, their last match was a two-two draw against Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace is mid to bottom tier table, and that's that's not an ideal result for somebody that just four-won Leicester. But right, um, I mean, they look strong. It's it's definitely shocking. It's a, it's a team to look out for. 
for sure. Do you think uh, United regret giving up on Jesse Lingard? <laughs> I wish they would have let him keep him, honestly, because I don't think United is going to play him. They just yeah. – and, and the sad thing about that is United needs to play him. They need to they, – they keep playing this I'm, – I'm not even a Manchester fan. I hate Manchester United, personally. I'm not a big fan of them. I'm excited to see their season just because they got Ronaldo back. But they need to play Lingard. They need to drop Fred out of the squad. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of a just like a free midfielder, straight down the middle, DM, center mid, so he can get up when he needs to, play back a little bit. He can play that role just fine and put Lingard and Bruno in there instead of Fred. It's really starting to piss me off. Because <laughs> Lingard is just miles better than their midfield right now. And if they're not going to play him, I think they need to give him back to West Ham because I think that just makes West Ham that much stronger. And they're not going to be a top four side. It's not going to kill Manchester, but right. I think that would make West Ham just a hell of a lot more fun to watch. Yeah, but I think they're, they're kind of showing that maybe they don't even need him. <laughs> you know, I, the, their attack so far this season, I, whether they'll be able to keep it up or not is yet to be determined, but they've looked, really solid yeah you know but it's almost like they don't even need Lingard but moving on to what might be the biggest topic um in terms of the Premier League right now um Arsenal sitting dead last in the table no points through three games negative uh nine goal differential uh, Arsenal fans are once again calling for another manager to be fired the the, the whole club just seems to be a mess and it seems like nothing that they do is really going right over the last couple of years. What, where, how do you see this playing out? Do you think Arteta can salvage his job or do you think that he he's gone by, you know, the January transfer window? First of all, I think he needs to stay. I love Arsenal. I think everything <laughs> right now is perfect, but realistically as a club, I mean, what they spent, 140 to 160 million pounds this year yeah they spent more money in the transfer window than i know than any other team in the premier league but i believe that they were the top spenders in all of europe i i i think you're right i know they were the top spenders in the premier league. and 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 name me one player that's going to totally revive that squad that they bought i mean maybe ben white i mean he's not going to be he's not going to completely I mean, change squad but it's a Brighton I mean, center back he's great right. he's good it's, but the English tax on him is ridiculous right uh yeah there's their defense is is is, is it's atrocious to say the least it's atrocious they needed a center back and I'll give them that right they've got so much going on I mean you got Odegaard back which is fine he's a good player but he's not going to revitalize your team Ben White is not going to – he's not the person to be like, here, take Arsenal and put us back in the top six. These aren't the players to do so. You spend 160 million pounds in a transfer window, you're going to be like, oh, they have, you know, Harry Kane striking now. No. Right. (laughs) They don't have anybody that's – it just dumbfounded me. You can spend that much money and you buy Aaron Ramsdale. (laughs) Well, and that – I question the decision-making because, yeah, Burt Leno didn't have a great run of form last season, but you don't – it's Aaron Ramsdale. He doesn't have a name to him either, and he's not going to be your Edward Mendy. 
I mean, we've seen right. Aaron Ramsdale play in the Premier League for the past two or three seasons. He's not ideal for your team if you're trying to get back into the top six. I, right. And then, you know, they have the likes of Aubameyang, who looks like a complete disaster right now. Like, I don't, at this point, I don't even know if he wants to keep playing football. He just looks atrocious out there. And then you got, you know, the likes of Zaha, who, you know, a couple months back was demanding to be sold doesn't even want to be on the team anymore and they give him a new contract <laughs> you know the, the guy doesn't even want to be there but they're they're willing to pay up for him to keep him on the team and they're they're starting him every week you know he he, he got the red card against city but why why would you keep him around you know I, with all the money that they spent you know i i besides ramsdale and ben white i couldn't even name you who they brought in you know i exactly and They've got so much wrong. It, it could not I, – I, I don't really know what to put about it. I think Mikel Arteta might have the brain for it, but Arsenal's squad is just – and the decisions that they're making, there's so much more going on than what yeah. we've seen in the front. The, the, this, I mean, it's, it's Barcelona, but on a much – but on a Premier League scale because they were right. – they used to be, you know, the club to beat in the Premier League. They yeah. were always in the top four, top three. And, I mean, everybody hits that downfall. AC Milan, Barcelona, Real Madrid, not as much Real Madrid, but everybody hits the downfall eventually. And they just hit it and hit it hard, really hard. Yeah. And, you know, and this isn't a new thing. You know, they've been going down since, um, you know, Wenger left. You know, they, they would always finish, you know, four, five, six. and then. Um, I forgot the name of the manager before um, Arteta, but they would always finish again fifth or sixth. But then Arteta comes in; they finished eighth last year. Mm-hmm. They're sitting at the bottom of the table now. You know they're they're not getting any better, and clearly they they don't have a problem bringing in players because they spent the most in Europe. But no one wants to buy the players that they're trying to sell. You know Zaha wanted out; no one wanted him, so they gave him a new contract instead of just you know cutting ties with them that that i think is their, their biggest issue they got guys that don't want to be there that don't fit the squad but they can't get rid of and unless unless they can start doing that i i personally don't think anything's going to change anytime soon it's not i i think i i genuinely think they need they need to call for a revamp in that squad they need to get rid of some of the higher ups that's making some of these decisions because i don't think it's all arteta and if it is R. Arteta, then he needs to go immediately. Yeah. It, it's getting a little questionable at this point. If that was my squad and my club, and I'm just like, what are you doing? Every, every single transfer that comes in, I'm just like, why? I mean, it's just the same thing as Barcelona. Get rid of Griezmann and bring in Luke de Jong, a Sevilla striker who scored 10 goals in the last two seasons off 70 appearances. I'm just sitting there like, what are you doing? Why are we doing this? Right. That's you know, exactly, I, exactly what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think Arteta has final say in all the transfers, but you know, I guess you can give him a little bit of a pass on who they bring in because it might not not all be him. But some of the tactics and the lineups that he's putting out are just as questionable as as who they bring in in the transfer window. You know, what? Why? Why is he still starting? Um, Aubameyang? Where's Where's Lacazette? Has Lacazette even seen the field this year? He came on 
in the Man City game <laughs> for like no reason. But yeah, right. So uh, I think Arteta is going to be out of a job probably by end of October. You know, they, they had if you look at the, the first part of their schedule, it's rough. Um, you know, besides the, the Brighton game kind of looks like it was set up for them to fail. You know, thought they'd be more competitive, but I don't think anyone would have been shocked if they lost that game, which they did. But then you had Chelsea, Man City. Again, I mean, th- that's a game that you would expect them to win, but I don't know. Norwich, you know, I, and then Tottenham, Brighton. If I'm being honest with you, I think they pull one win out of the next. Yeah, I, I, I could see them beating Norwich. They but probably, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they drew Burnley and lost to Tottenham. Yeah. And then you're sitting with four points out of six games. I mean, even ideally, if you beat the next two, if you beat Norwich and you beat Burnley, you're sitting with six points and you lose to Tottenham, because I think they would. You're sitting with six points out of six games. I'm assuming that everybody else is keeping the trend that they're on now. That still leaves them bottom 15, bottom 10. Yeah. But then again, I, with how they've been playing, well, them losing to Nora, which wouldn't surprise me either. You know, I, I, I think they could either win one game and draw one, like you said, but if they lose all of the next four, I wouldn't be surprised either. I think the only thing that would surprise me is if they win maybe three out of four. Yeah. I would be shocked. I would be shocked if they go on a winning streak. If they beat yeah. Tottenham, I'll be shocked. If they beat Burnley, I would genuinely be surprised. I, I think I don't think Burnley is that strong of a side, but I think Arsenal is just in shambles right now, and they need to be shaken up. Yeah. I mean, well, I definitely believe Brentford and Brighton are a better side than Arsenal. Just which, which, which is, just 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 the sound of that sentence just. Like what what universe are we in? You know, a, a, a club the size of Arsenal that, you know, was always, you know, recently a, a good side, always finishing in a European spot. But you go to the early 2000s and they were, you know, one of the most dominant clubs in all of Europe. You know, their, their 2004 side is regarded as one of the greatest teams ever. And now they're at the bottom of the table, you know. You see a lot of teams, you know, they have a little bit of a fall from grace, but, you know, it's always top and then, you know, maybe mid-table for a year or two, and then they're back up at the top. Not, you know, always finishing first to finishing sixth to ninth and now all the way at the bottom. You know, just the potential for them to get relegated for as big of a club as they are is just, it's mind-boggling, honestly. But moving on to maybe a team that had a little bit of a more um, beneficial transfer window, I guess we could say. Um, PSG had quite the transfer window, um, bringing in Messi, um, like we know. Um, they brought in a bunch of other players as well. Do you, do you think this might be the greatest transfer window ever? Excluding just PSG, I think this is the greatest transfer window. I it's been nonstop, it feels like. I think PSG themselves did have the best transfer window ever because they signed five or six different players for free this year, which is yeah. good players. I mean, they they signed Wijnaldum, Hakimi, who they paid. Uh, Sergio Ramos was free. Donnarumma was free. Lionel Messi was free. Nuno Mendes on loan just came in the other day. Yep. It, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, in this... To sign some of those players, I mean, obviously, 
Ronaldo isn't known as the greatest player in the world. Hakimi isn't. But Sergio Ramos, Donnarumma, Lionel Messi, those are players that have had amazing seasons. And not only yeah. seasons, but, I mean, Sergio Ramos for me is one of the greatest center backs that I've ever watched play in my lifetime. Lionel Messi is my personal GOAT. And Donnarumma has been phenomenal in the Serie A for the past couple of years. And they're just, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll just bring him on in. And we'll just... <laughs> And, you know, they, they even brought in Wendell on a free transfer uh, from Liverpool. So that, that midfield is just ridiculous. You know, obviously bringing in Messi is a complete game changer with him and Mbappe. But, you know, their, their biggest complaint or the biggest complaint that people had about them was their uh, defense. Because we even last year, they could score, but they couldn't stop anyone from scoring. That, that ended up being their downfall. So they go, they go out and add Sergio Ramos who at 35 might be past his prime, but he could still play. He's still going to be better than anyone that they had. Um, you know, they, they brought in Hakimi, like you mentioned. Um, he was their most expensive transfer at 60 mil. And then I think bringing on Nuno Mendes, you know, obviously Messi is going to be their signing of the, of the season. But Nuno Mendes, you know, by the end of the season, I, I think he's going to be regarded as one of the hottest transfer targets um, in all of Europe going into next summer's transfer window. I, I, this kid is special, and I wouldn't be surprised if in the next couple of years he's regarded as one of the best uh, left backs in the world. So I, it, it, It's a transfer window that solidifies the team now, um, and I think might even make them favorites for the Champions League. Um, but bringing in Mendez and then Hakimi, they're both under 24. You know, They're going to be with the team for a, a while. Yeah. So I, I think going forward, th- this team is is going to be set up beautifully. It's it's a little crazy. Um, I mean, obviously we had Messi move, we had Ronaldo move. I mean, it's just been nonstop. I mean, up until, I mean, I was talking to my friends the other day, and I think this is probably one of the busiest transfer windows that I've ever seen personally. Like it was just, yeah, it was blowing up all the time. Um, it's transfer after transfer after transfer. And I, I genuinely believe that PSG has a solid, solid chance of being the strongest club in Europe for at least at least two years. If they can keep everything together, get their signings together, get everybody to mesh. I think I like your take on Nuno Mendes. I think he's a special kid. I don't know about rating him number one in the next couple of years. <laughs> but um, he's definitely got that potential. He's got the potential. I'll give you that. Um, I mean, this club is just shaping up to be one of the biggest clubs in the world if they can play it right. But yeah. that's what they said when they signed Neymar, that they had it all. <laughs> you know, they were going to do everything, and they didn't do anything with them for two years. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, they have the GOAT now, Lionel Messi. They have Sergio Ramos in the back. It's really going to help hold up their line like you were talking about. It's – um I mean, it's mind-boggling. I mean, I was on my way. I was in the middle of my move <laughs> when I was getting my phone absolutely blown up. People telling me that Messi's signing for PSG, and I'm like, "What do you mean, Messi's signing for PSG? Right, Barcelona <laughs> player. He's not going anywhere. Right. Just two days. Just like trying to wrap my head around the idea that Messi's no longer a Barcelona player. That's yeah, I mean, they've got a hell of a squad. So, yeah. So. Now that the transfer windows um, all wrapped up here, you know who you know out of all the teams in Europe, 
Um, we don't have to just stick to Premier League teams. Um, but who do you think had the best and who do you think had the worst transfer window? I mean, by far, PSG and Arsenal. Yeah. PSG had the best, Arsenal had the worst. You cannot, you just can't. You, you can't do what, in both sense of those clubs, it's, it's, it's crazy to me how you can have PSG sign six players, six good players, players with names to them, four of them for free, and then you have Arsenal who spends <laughs> 140 to 160 million pounds, and you've got like one or two players with names to them. If if you can even consider that, and and I look at both squads, there's a clear difference in who's going to have the better side if they come head to head. Even if you even oh, if you get yeah. everything out of contention, and if you just put eleven of their players on the pitch, it's it's not even going to be a competition. Um, but I can't really say I disagree with you. I mean, th- those would be the same teams that you know I would have. Just the players that PSG was able to bring in, and how smart they were able to be, you know, with, with the budget that the team like PSG has, they, they have no problem spending money, but they didn't have to, to, to bring in the guys that they did. So just the way that they went about this transfer window was just genius. You know, they were able to get guys for free that can help them now and make them, I think, favorites to win the, the champions league. But, you know, like I mentioned earlier, they were able to get guys that, you know, set themselves up, you know, for success later down the road. And then you got a team like Arsenal that, you know, seems to to overpay for for players that either, you know, obviously aren't as good as as Arsenal thinks that they are, or they're, you know, old washed up players that, you know, their you know, their primes are you know long gone. And it it it's really a tale of two different clubs. You got PSG that, you know, has everything planned out and they go about attacking that plan, and they do it smart. Arsenal just seems like they they kind of won it. You know, they didn't really have a plan. They just said, you know, we'll just, you know, throw $50 million at, at Ben White and, you know, hope he fixes that defense or, you know, we'll, you know, give Zaka a new contract, even though we know that he wants to leave. It's kind of hope for the best. It's, you know, you, you couldn't have more polar opposites, you know, in, in terms of a transfer window. But you now, seeing that we, that we agreed, is is there anyone that you think maybe had an all right transfer window, but it could have been better? You know, maybe they missed a couple of op- opportunities. I mean, honestly, that, that's a tough question. I had I had some teams that I wanted to bring up, and I wasn't really ready for that question, so it caught me off guard. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, just going off the off the prem because that's that's a little easier. I mean. Everton and Liverpool did really nothing. It's not a wise move in the what's considered the best league in the world. Um, but I mean, I like what Ashton Villa did. Mm-hmm. I think that's the per- I think that would probably be the perfect example in the Prem for me of a team that had an okay transfer window but could have been better. I mean, you just took a hundred million from Man City for Graylish, and you buy Danny Ings. I like Danny Ings personally. I've always been a fan of him. I've always liked watching him play. Yeah. You could have really used that money to really develop the rest of your squad as well. I mean, you lost a super huge key player in your squad. I like the signings that they made, but I think, I I mean, I think they did well. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it's bad signings, but I think they could have done a little bit better with it. Um, 
And I think they could have really, even though they lost their best player, I think they could have still had a pretty average or, or above average, decently good squad with the money that they received from Man City. So yeah. they'd probably be my example. Yeah, I the the Grealish transfer was, you know, completed what you know just before uh the first first game. So that was, you know, three weeks ago now. You know, that they definitely could have done more. Um, I know they brought in Danny Ings before they brought um before they sold Grealish. Right. But three weeks that that's still enough time where they, they could have brought in a couple more players. So I I'd agree with you there. Um but to me, I think a team that could have had a better transfer window would have been um, not surprised. I would say City. Um, I know they brought in Grealish, um, but I think they maybe wasted too much time with Daniel Levy trying to get um, Harry Kane. You know, there there was there, there didn't seem to be a plan B. Mm-hmm. Granted, it, you know, Fran Torres is looking fantastic right now, so you know maybe we don't even need to bring in a striker. But you know, I. I think there were some holes on that defense, especially um, now with what's going on with Mendy that, you know, we really don't need to get into, but it looks like, you know, bringing in another left back, you know, could have been something that we, we were always thinking about doing because everyone's always on the fence about Mendy anyways. Um, So I think not bringing in a left back, um, it could be, could be pretty harmful um, just because, you know, I like who we have starting, but, depth behind them you know we've got Kyle Walker on, on the right um, Zinchenko on the left and then really your only other fullback of any note is uh, Cancelo you know and then other than that there's there's really there's really no one else so I, I think maybe they should have been a little bit more proactive and you know going out and, and getting a striker even though you know Harry Kane didn't work out they still could have brought in somebody and then I think they definitely should have brought in a fullback but you know, not not surprised. Always got to you know bring up City in in some capacity with these episodes, right? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I I get it. They didn't really do a whole lot. They spent all their money. They bought out. They they, they could have done a little bit more with that. I agree. Yeah. So going into match week number four, um, how do you have this week? Um, this week's game is kind of playing out. We do have a. It looks like uh, a couple big matchups, so could be could be some surprising results here. Going straight down the line, we've got Crystal Palace Tottenham. I think Tottenham probably takes that two one. Uh, Arsenal Norwich. I could see Arsenal winning that three nil. I could see him losing one nil. Um, yeah, you know to think about that game. I think Brentford wins theirs. I think Man City probably wins their game against Leicester, but you never know if. If Leicester's getting back into their form, could be a tough game for Man City. I think Man United, um, that's rumored the debut day of Cristiano Ronaldo against Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Probably win that 13-0 against Newcastle. Uh, <laughs> Southampton, West Ham, probably good West Ham goal. Watford versus Wolves could be good, but I'm hoping that Wolves finally pull out and get their front three mm-hmm. together. Chelsea and Aston Villa show up. Hopefully that's a Chelsea win, <laughs> um, but I know Ashton Villa is going to be a tough side this year. Liverpool and Leeds is always a good matchup. It was two of the best matchups that we've seen last year. So I'm excited for that one probably the most. Yeah. Uh, but I think pretty, pretty standard results down the board, except for the Arsenal-Norwich game. It's just hard to tell right now. I think 
logistically they have the better side and they'll probably win two, three nil. Um, but we'll just have to see and, and see how they show up that day. Yeah. And I, I think overall, I, I agree with you for the most part on these games, I'm going to go with Tottenham as well. Um, I'm going to go with Norwich just cause you know, I like drama and I know Arsenal losing another game. <laughs> It, it the drama is going to get a little crazy with that. Brentford's looked really strong. So is Brighton. Um, I think that's going to be a really interesting game to watch. Um, I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Brentford on that one. You know, maybe a little bit of an upset, but they looked like a really good side. Leicester, Man City. I'm going to go with Man City again. Leicester looks all right. They got some things that they need to figure out. Coming off of two five goal performances. I think City's gonna gonna win this one and probably be a little bit closer. You know, can't score five goals every week, um, so I can see us winning that one two one. Um, Man United, Newcastle. That's not even going to be a competition. Um, I, yeah, I I know Newcastle has to show up, but if Ronaldo's going to be debuting for Man United, I I wouldn't want to show up to that game. <laughs> I think that that one's going to be at least three or four nil. Um, I don't know about thirteen, like you said, but. It's definitely going to be up there. Um, West Ham, Southampton. I think go with West Ham on that one. Um, Southampton's not a strong enough side, and West Ham's looked really good to start the year. Um, Wolves, I think they're going to squeak this one out, finally score a goal. You know, Watford's defense, not that great. I think Ruben Neves and Troyori are going to at least be able to score one, hopefully. Then um, Chelsea, Aston Villa, I, I, think, I think that's going to be a Chelsea win, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, I, I hate seeing them win, but I, I think that's going to be a be a pretty comfortable win for you guys. I don't know. We'll we'll have to uh, make make a post or something and see how our our predictions go for the week. Yeah, but yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up what uh what I had planned out for the interview. Overall, again, always a good conversation. Glad to have you back on the show. I appreciate it. It's good to be yeah. back. <laughs> but as always you know for those listening don't forget to follow us on facebook instagram twitter um, we are also now on youtube uh, we have a couple videos up there uh, be sure to you know always like comment and subscribe you know always comment on our posts as well we like engaging with our listeners um, and you know feel free to reach out to us with anything that you guys think would be you know good content for an episode you know, if you guys want to hear us talk about it, we'll always enjoy talking about it. So, um, but you know, that completes this episode of on the pitch and as always, thanks for listening. And we are deep dive sports. Hey everyone. Thank you for listening. If you would like to hear more, feel free to listen to past episodes and look for new ones every Friday. And don't forget to follow us at deep.dive.sport on Twitter instagram and facebook for any update and please let us know what you would like us to take a deep dive into next as always we are deep dive sports until next time